Catherine the Fake, the fraudster who conned her way around rural Ireland. I gave her 53,000, he said. I was supposed to get married to her. He was transferring some money to keep her going. She's evil. I mean, she's ruined so many people's lives. She's like an eel, always moving around. Nobody will ever catch her. It's very clever, cunning, manipulative person. Flores turned fraudster Catherine O'Brien has left a trail of destruction in her wake and now she is being hunted by Gardaí. I'm Anne Murphy and this is Catherine the Fake, an Irish Examiner investigative podcast. In this episode, Tall Tales from Tipperary, hear how Catherine O'Brien convinced a desperate property owner that she was in the pay of a Nimirati prince who could solve his money worries. If the walls of Knocklofty House near Clonmel could talk, the Tipperary mansion would have some tales to tell. Thrust into the national spotlight in the 1970s when an IRA gang kidnapped the house's inhabitants, it has been the subject of concerns raised locally and also in the Dáil Chamber in recent times about its condition. The property is a 17-bedroom sprawling building nestled into an impressive estate nine kilometres west of Clonmel. It was the seat of the Earl of Dunamore since 1790, being the home of the Healy Hutchinson family. The property became headline news when Lord and Lady Dunamore were kidnapped in 1974, before being released four days later in the Phoenix Park in Dublin. The IRA gang who kidnapped the couple had hoped to influence British policy on Northern Ireland. Another historic element of the property's history is that the land on which it is built was given to the Hutchinson family by the notorious Oliver Cromwell. The home is currently on Tipperary County Council's record of protected structures, but is now in a state of disrepair. Earlier this year, the Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform, Malcolm Noonan, announced a grant allocation of €10,000 for works on mitigation of damp at Knocklofty House as part of the Built Heritage Investment Scheme 2022. Lord and Lady Dunamore sold the property less than a decade after the kidnapping and it was operated afterwards as a hotel. In 1994, Tipperary native Dennis English bought the property and he also owned the nearby Marlfield House. Both properties are household names way beyond Clonmel and both caught the attention of Catherine O'Brien after it emerged that Dennis English was in financial difficulties. These difficulties received press coverage, including coverage of attempts to sell the properties. Marlfield House, where Dennis still lives, is also a very historic property. It was the home of the Bagwell family between the 18th and 20th centuries. That family were influential in Irish Unionist society and the property itself was built in 1785. Parked outside of the property today is Dennis's white Jaguar, 
purchased many years ago when finances were much healthier. The motor is a reminder of Dennis's first job as a mechanic. Marlfield House itself is a 22,600 square feet Georgian Palladian mansion, which was burnt down in 1923 and rebuilt two years later. Previously operated as a hotel, similar to nearby Knocklofty, the property is now home to a number of apartments and is where Dennis currently lives. It is where he now sits down to recall how he thought the answer to his financial woes could be found when a lifeline was dangled before him by none other than Catherine O'Brien, a woman he had never met, but who promised him a way out of the financial doldrums he was in. He believes that she must have been aware of his financial plight from articles in the press relating to Knocklofty. He received a phone call out of the blue from her, during which she asked to meet him because she said she had clients who may be interested in Knocklofty. Yeah, well, I got a phone call from her and uh, she said about, I believe you're uh, selling Knocklofty House. And I have some clients that could be interested in. And she said, could we meet up for a coffee? And we went to Barn, and she was going through this uh, person, Arabs, and uh, the king that was wanting to invest the money in Ireland. And uh, so we were chatting away, and she said then that uh, more or less whatever I'd say would be, they'd go by it, and uh, i just let the agent know but I have to look at the places and see if everything is okay. And uh, so, like, that was that day. And then she phoned me again, and we went to, again, to chat away again. And she said, I'm kind of getting them around to agreeing with buying the place. I sent them photographs, and I sent them video things and all there. And uh, the king was very interested in me about coming over for a holiday, stay as long as you like. And then she got the agent for that to phone me, and uh, he was chatting to me, and he told me then, uh, so Catherine says, it is okay, it will be okay, I'll just relate, and we'll have the money transferred, so we got to get contracts sorted out. Essentially, she told him a royal from a Middle Eastern country would be interested in purchasing the historic property, as well as Merrillfield House. She implied that there was an unlimited amount of money available for investing in Ireland from the King and his business associates. Not alone was the idea planted with Dennis that the two properties could be sold. There was also a promise of a job for him which would enable him to remain in Marlfield. He was to be one of the representatives of the consortium here in Ireland but would also be able to travel a number of times a year to the Gulf state. And then we met up again. We went to Anora's Cottage, uh, a restaurant in the Nair. Uh, and the thing is, uh, she kept paying away. I mean, I told her I had no money. And she just kept, there was no shortage of money with her. She said she gets paid like the, the agent fella just sends over the money for to pay everything. And uh, so, like, and the thing is, then um, we went into John Joy. She said, we better do up a kind of contract, like, anyway. Uh, so for the, how much I was going to get a year, and I was going to get a lump sum, 
and I looked like from the contract I was going to never again see a board there. <laughs> I mean, so, so like, uh, I was going to get, I can't remember exactly a hundred and something thousand a year plus a free Range Rover, a new Range Rover and holidays as many times as I want. And I'd be staying over with the king. She seemed very well educated, like, and she told me she trained as a solicitor for so many years, three years as a solicitor, and she knows all the legal ins and outs of the things, and she knows how they are. She met the king, and she met the agent person, and she, they, it took her a long time for, for them to trust her, but now they trust her, like, and she's more or less the agent for Ireland. So, like, she was, um, whatever she'd say would be okay as well as solidifying Dennis's future. His friend and employee Tom Moran was also to be retained at Merrillfield under the new owners. Dennis was to be Tom's boss. Jeez, we're all made, made for life. The mm-hmm. money was coming, the jobs are coming. Dennis was happy like young fellow going around, you know. <laughs> was sad. Oh, it didn't come, come through, so... And if it had happened, you were to be retained here oh, as well? Oh, yes, I think so. Yeah, I was a big job as well. I wanted to be a caretaker or... She didn't tell me that now, Dennis was telling me that. Yeah, but that was what, that, that was, what was... That was the gist of anyway, yeah. Catherine flattered Dennis by telling him that she could not work without having Dennis involved. And while Tom says now that there had been a number of opportunities presented to Dennis which were too good to be true in the past, Dennis trusted Catherine's story and apparent expertise and contacts. Oh, she was top class. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I mean, the thing is very good. And, and came across very charming, like, and it felt like genuine and everything about the thing. But we had these occasions that arise before, people promising this and promising that, and we were always kind of a bit cautious of mm-hmm. people telling these tall stories. So we were kind of a small bit dubious, you know. Knowing that Dennis was used to buying and selling property, Dennis recalls Catherine also telling him that he would be involved in identifying other Irish properties for use as retirement homes, for example. He laughs ruefully now when he recalls that he could not believe his luck when he met Catherine and that she had put a plan in place which would extricate him out of the financial doldrums in which he had found himself. She was going to sort out his financial difficulties and he was to receive a lump sum of money. He was also to receive a vehicle and an annual salary. A contract outlining his terms and conditions was drawn up and there was nothing about Dennis's dealings with her that caused him concern. He recalls that the legal contracts were drawn up by Catherine very well, noting that she was like a solicitor. Catherine told him that she had trained in law for a number of years, and he describes her as coming across as a very well-educated person. This reflection by the Tipperary men is an echo of earlier dealings which people had in County Clare with Catherine when she earned people's trust in her by offering to help them with any difficulties they had which required legal knowledge. Receivers had been moving in on Not Lofty at the time and Dennis recalls Catherine collecting him at Marlfield one morning and driving him to Dublin to the offices of the receivers. Leaving him sitting in her vehicle, she was gone for just a short while and returned to tell him that his issue with the receivers had been sorted out. He remembers seeing her going in the door of the offices before she returned with a business card, telling him that he could rest easy now. And indeed he did rest easy, believing that his troubles had been sorted out by meeting a kindly stranger who knew what she was doing when dealing with financial and property matters. 
And while her dealings in the region of the Persian Gulf were whirled away from Merrillfield and Knocklofty, Dennis felt reassured because she was liaising with an agent based in the Middle East who had also made contact with Dennis by phone. The Dublin trip was not complete without Catherine taking Dennis to view some horses she said she owned and which were in a stable in County Leash. During that visit, Dennis was led to believe that there was no shortage of money because of the values of the horses she showed him. She took him for food afterwards and Dennis felt a huge relief as he returned home to his beloved Marlfield, feeling that his life was back in control after the financial worries he had. Catherine O'Brien was keen to show Dennis a good time. He recalls being wined and dined in the beautiful surroundings of Hanora's Cottage, a renowned venue in the Nyer Valley between Clonmel and Dungarvan. The award-winning country house and restaurant nestled into the Comera Mountains close to Ballymacarbury in West Watford was a two-bedroom cottage when built in 1891. But now it has been expanded into a larger and exclusive venue which Catherine O'Brien decided would be a lovely location for Dennis English to enjoy. The memory of the visit to Hanora's cottage still brings a smile to his face as he remembers it vividly. Not having had any money on him, Catherine paid for everything for Dennis during the visit. She kept paying away. I mean, I told her I had no money. There was no shortage of money with her. She said she gets paid like the, the agent fella just sends over the money to pay everything. During the dinner, she told him of her great interest in the equine world and of the horses she owned. Her interest in horses has been a staple of her life and is reflected by a plaque on her now vacated home in Dungarvan which has two horses' heads on a plaque beside the front door. The Buttevant woman was working hard to earn the trust of the Tipperary property owner and he unashamedly admits now that her efforts worked. It was during that dinner in Hanora's cottage that she offered him a trip of a lifetime an all-expenses-paid visit to Galway Races on board a helicopter which would pick him up at his home in Marlfield. Dennis was very excited at the prospect. So were his friends. Tom recalls the thrill at the prospect of a helicopter arriving at Marlfield. A Jaguar may have been Dennis's mode of transport, but a helicopter arriving on the grounds of the old mansion was something of a novelty factor for Dennis. Indeed, aside from eagerly looking forward to the ride through the skies to Galway, there was the more mundane matter at hand. Where would it land? Although he admits that he doesn't know a lot about horses and he had only gone to the Galway races once before, there was a great frisson around the trip offered to him by Catherine O'Brien. After he told her that he did not have a huge interest in horses, she moved to assuage his apparent reluctance filling him with promises of a spectacular day out. She was telling me how many horses she had and she had lots of lots of horses and all that. And then she said to me, would you go on to go to the Galway races? I said, I, I don't know much about horses. I've been once to the Galway races. I mean, the thing is, I said, I haven't that much. Oh, she said, like, this wouldn't be just normal. She said, we'd have a box and food and, like, top class. You'd be treated above, like, almost like a king above in the Galway races. Yeah, oh, I said, well, I'll, that sound, I don't know whether I'll be able to fit in or not there, but anyway, I'll try and manage. So she said that that'd be great. Well, so 
she said, we arranged the thing for the Galway races. And she said, I'll pick you up at a quarter nine. And I got all ready and thinking, she was like, I was even nervous about going up there, thinking would I be able to manage all these people that I was going to meet. So at about a quarter nine, she rang me. She said, I have bad news for you. I said, what's wrong? My mother fell down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, she said, she's down at the end of the stairs, but our sister's coming from England. She's a doctor. She said, oh, geez, I'm gutted. She said, I'm not going. Well, I mean, so then and that's the end of the story. I can't do, can't do nothing about that. Mm-hmm. I said, sorry to hear about your mother, I said. According to Tom, a crowd had gathered to see the helicopter coming before Dennis got the phone call about Catherine's mother. From then on, their suspicions were piqued. They began to believe that the deal wouldn't happen. A further meeting in the Baron pub some time after the aborted trip to Galway races led to final preparations for the drawing up of Dennis's contract for his role in the operation. It also paved the way for a new bank account being set up, which would host millions of euros for the planned investment, according to Catherine. She secured Dennis's help in setting up the bank account, along with a man Dennis did not know, but who was an associate of Catherine's. Millions of euro were due to be in the account very soon, she assured Dennis. However, those millions never materialised and the hopes that Dennis had for a future free of financial worries began to evaporate. There were no millions coming into yes. the account <laughs> and he was beginning to wonder was anything going to happen at all. And were you hearing from Deloitte at any stage? No, no, no. I didn't hear. She had everything in hand. You mean she, she was, she said she's much better at dealing with them. Mm-hmm. I rang Tyg, did the money, I asked him a few times, did the, did the money come in yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. And uh, then John Joy had some contract came back from the dress he sent it to in Cork. Okay. Uh, and he was getting suspicious then, is this, uh, something gone wrong with it? So she said then to me, but I asked her about that, what happened there? And she said, like, uh, I, I have told the people there, like, that kind of, uh, anything comes, I get so many things, people send me letters, I just tell them, send them back. You should have told me that was going out to me. Dennis's solicitor became suspicious when a contract sent by him to an address in Cork was returned to him. So the letter came back to John Joy, and so when I get suspicious about her, and uh, so then the Arab over was ringing me and telling me, no, it's all fine, it's just the final thing, the king, king like, thinks of it. Yeah, and he, so like, and the thing is, then he, he wanted to send me off to Charleville to try and do deals. And the better I could do the deal, then I'd be after gaining a few more brownie points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, just to show him that I'm real top, top man at the job. Yes, that yeah. you're worth every second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she, she could she had to make sure that she hadn't done like. However, Catherine, who was still in touch with Dennis, had an excuse for both happenings. Blaming cultural differences. Still convinced me that it's okay. It is just can be a bit of uh, confusion here. The Arabs are kind of strange people, she said, like, uh, and whatever then she said to me as well. It was uh, like whatever month was the wrong month, they pray. Oh, right, okay. So it was cultural differences. Was yeah, the yeah, issue. the pray and the, I didn't mean the king after, and the other agent ringing me up, like, and saying that every, everything, Dennis, don't be getting kind of. Catherine said it's okay, it will be okay. Uh, and uh, the, then I was speaking to John Joy, anything happened. The agent who was dealing with the issue for the Arabian Royal 
was also reassuring as he also believed and trusted the Cork woman. But in fact, he too had been fooled. I have from uh, the fella over in yes. the, the region and he rang me up and he said, I give her 53,000, he said. Yeah. He said, uh, I was supposed to get, get married to her. I said, yeah, but what can I do about that? He was transferring some money to keep her going. Dennis finally discovered that he had been duped when he got a phone call a number of months later from a Garda contact who had come across documentation relating to Dennis while investigating Catherine. After a couple of months too, I got a phone call from Joe Wise that they had arrested her. They said she, she had a contract in that in their jeep belonged to, belonged to me. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, uh, did she catch you for much money? I said, no, it was I got paid. She paid for me. Mm. There was no issues with money with her. Yes. She paid up and everything was fine. While he had lost no money himself, he says that his dealings with Catherine O'Brien left him back at square one, still at the mercy of receivers. He has recently reached a deal with the receivers in relation to both Marlfield and Not Lofty. But with him will remain the memories of the short few months when hope was given to him by one Catherine O'Brien, the woman he thought would be his saviour. The Gardaí are looking for Catherine O'Brien and so are those who have lost money, friends and even family due to her actions. The Irish Examiner is looking for her too. If you have information relating to her whereabouts, contact me on n.murphy at examiner.ie.